Welcome to Take Your Stand, the podcast of Here I Stand Ministries. I'm your host, Luke Seibert. Let's explore more of what it means to live out the gospel by clinging to the Word and to one another. Well, it's been a while, but we're finally back with the podcast, and uh, hopefully today and today we'll uh, wrap up uh, season one of the podcast with studying through an epistle. Uh, we didn't finish an epistle, but just giving an example of how you would approach that and do that, and we'll finish that and uh, give some explanation about where we're going forward in the future. It's uh, taking me a little bit to get stuff ready and to get going. I had not intended to take such a long break, but glad to get back to it. And so, or continuing it all, just kind of giving us back the context where we're at. We're uh, or at the end of chapter 3 of 1 Corinthians. Uh, Paul's been tracing through and dealing with this issue throughout the book of pride. Uh, that's uh, it's taken root in the heart of the Corinthian believers and how they had divided these different factions. Uh, they had some who were following, claiming the name of Paul and following him, they said, and had some who were following Apollos. And Paul and Apollos weren't pitted against each other. They were teaching the same thing, but it became a sense of identity and pride of what smaller faction group you were a part of in Corinth. And Paul is demonstrating in very uh, vivid language uh, at the end of chapter 2 into chapter 3 uh, of the destructive nature of having such factions in the church. And he goes through chapter 3 saying how we're all working together, uh, we're all do it our part that God has given us, but God is the one who's causing the growth. All the glory goes to Him, and God has promised to uh, defend His church. And you don't—he is the source of all wisdom. You don't have to be looking through the world or these other smaller faction groups that you're a part of to try to gain identity or to gain worth. Uh, just find sources of wisdom. There were there were some influences from the world of the world philosophies that were creeping into the church. You see, don't look to those. Look to Christ to be founded on Him. And so we'll begin. That we only have uh, verses uh, 21 through uh, 23 to uh, to look at today, but sort of giving a little bit of the context, we'll begin reading in verse 18 of 1 Corinthians 3. It says, Let no one deceive, uh, deceive himself. If any man uh, among you thinks that he is, uh, that he is uh, wise in this age, he must become foolish so that he may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness in, uh, to God. For it is, for it is, uh, for it is written, He is the one who catches the wise in their uh, craftiness. And again, the Lord knows the reasonings of the wise that they are useless. So then, let no one boast in men, for all things belong to you whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or, or the world or life or death or things present or things to come. All things belong to you and you belong to Christ and Christ belongs to God. That's some interesting uh, phrasing. Some things we'll get to here in a little bit, but looking at there, verse 21, it says, let no one boast in men that it says God's wisdom is so much higher uh, than anything that can man cast offer, even great men like Paul. Uh, God is the source of all wisdom. We need to look to him to, to guide us, to, to give us this wisdom. That The world can only offer a cheap substitute. And you shouldn't, we shouldn't settle for that. We should look to God and, and cling to him. 
And he's also another point that's not directly stated in there in the text, but another aspect to consider is that men are going to fail. That great men of the faith or that the world exalts, they're not flawless. That they're going to have their faults, their own issues. Some of them are going to fall. And well, they we're all going to fall short of the glory of God. We're all going to sin. Some may fall in more drastic ways than others. And often when we put someone on a pedestal, when a bunch of people do that, it is setting someone up for a fall. And so we, we should not exalt men. Uh, God is the one who is the source of all wisdom, and he alone is flawless. He is errorless. His wisdom, his truth that he is the truth that he has revealed, we can have perfect assurance that it is true. It's never going to change. And that it is our foundation, that, that Christ is the only foundation for, for the church and for our own lives. So we need to remember that, not boasting in men, not thinking that because I belong to this special subgroup or this camp or follow this particular teacher, this somehow makes me better. It, it doesn't. We need to look to, to, the, to the Lord. And then uh, getting into this phrase here at the end of verse 21, it says, For all things belong to you. Uh, it's an interesting phrase, and it's repeated at the end of chapter, uh, verse 22 and a similar construction in, verses, in verse 23. Uh, some interesting things to, to consider about this to try to help us understand what this means. That is, he's not trying to give the believers a big head, uh, and it, it try to fit this into the context too. Is like, hey, Paul, we're not talking about things belonging to us previously, so why do you bring this up? Well, the uh, the in the Greek, it's a, a genitive construction, basically meaning that the it shows a sense of belonging. So yeah, that is how it's translated. I think the ESV says that all things are yours. Uh, the Christian Standard Bible says everything is yours. Um, those are also ways it can be translated. It's just trying to express the, the connotation of the Greek. But I think what is even more significant is that so it says all things are yours and all, every place in there, it's plural. It's not singular. He's not saying oh, these things are just for you as an individual to puff you, yourself up, make you feel good about yourself. No, he's speaking collectively to the whole church. And Albert Barnes brings this out in his commentary because I had to look this. I was looking this one up, trying to, trying to understand what Paul's point was and how did this fit into the context. Not just looking at verses twenty-one and through twenty-three by themselves, but trying to understand how does this help uh, fit the argument and what Paul is saying. And Albert Barnes really tried to bring that out. And uh, another way to, to look at the context is to actually go back and to, to read a larger portion, you know, starting at the beginning of chapter 3, maybe even a little bit earlier if necessary, but trying to trace Paul's uh, flow of thought there. But uh, Barnes does this and he capitulates it. And what his, what his point that he Barnes uh, uh, describes that Paul is making is that all these things, whether it's Paul or Apollos or Cephas, some of the name for Peter, or, or life or death, all these things, they are benefiting all believers. That they're they're not just serving or subservient to one small group. That God is using all those things to benefit the whole church, to grow the church as a whole. Um, not just one particular group that if, okay, if you belong, if you say that, well, I'm with Paul, then you're getting benefit from him, but you're not getting from anything else. Or that if someone's from a different camp like that of Apollos, then they're not getting benefit from Paul. That's that's not what the point. He's saying that God, uh, Paul is making the point here by saying, all these things belong, all things belong to you, 
He's saying all these things are for you, that God is using these things on your behalf as a whole, as a church. And that's one point he's been emphasizing time and time again throughout this, throughout this whole book is that you are a body. And he's going to continue to emphasize that throughout the rest of the epistle as well, is that you are one through Christ. Uh, not because you subscribe to a particular creed or confession, but because Christ has bought you and the Spirit has baptized you into one body, uh, 1 Corinthians 12. And so uh, that's that's the point that he is, he is making, is that God is using all these things for the believer's benefit, that we, we can all benefit from the wisdom that God had given Paul, how he, he moved Paul, the Spirit moved Paul to write inspired scripture. Uh, as far as I know, we don't have anything recorded by uh, that Apollos taught, but he was used mightily by God in the early church in, in the first century. Uh, there's evidence of him of, uh, him in several different, a couple different books uh, of how the Lord had used him and was blessing his ministry and was blessing various believers, not just one particular small group. Uh, that God is using our circumstances of our, of our life and he's working all things to the world for his glory and to benefit uh, believers. Uh, Romans 8, there's... Uh, all, the list goes on. You go through the things that are, uh, things to come, all these blessings that we had, this promised inheritance that uh, he has reserved for us in heaven, First uh, Peter chapter 1. Uh, you can go on. That all these benefits are for believers, not that not uh, they keep getting added on, like you get another level of benefits once you reach a certain level of maturity. Now, God is using all these to help build up the whole church, not just one particular individual or one small group but the church as a whole. And therefore, that should give unity. There's no need for factions. We're all one through Christ, and God is building all of us up. And again, as we said, that's not to give us a big head. Because in verse 20, uh, at the end of 22, he says, he repeats again, that all things belong to you. And he slips into verse 23 and says that in you, plural, belong to Christ, and Christ belongs to God. It's the same kind of construction is that we are to be subservient to Christ. We are to serve him. Yes, we have all these benefits, all these blessings, but they're to be used in Christ's service. Just as Christ has submitted to the Father's will and serves him. And again, he's just bringing us back again to Christ and holding him up as the one we should fix our eyes upon, the one that we should follow after. It's not any particular, it's not any man, not any, not any earthly man here. They're all going to uh, fail us. Christ will never fail us, and he has set us the perfect example. Um, in Matthew 26, uh, and he says that um, and when he's in the garden, he's praised. He says, My father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Yet not as I will, but as you will. That he submitted himself to the father's to the father's will, the father's plan, and served him. And then in John 8, uh, John 8, verse 29, he's, uh, Jesus is speaking to the crowd, and he says, And he who sent me is with me. He has, he has not left me alone, for I always do the things that are pleasing to him. And he's speaking to the Father. He says, not just that he didn't disappoint the Father, but he always chose to do those things which please the Father. <clears throat> Say the positive that he he always chose those things that would glorify the Father that the Father desired. Not just that he didn't uh, do anything wrong, but he chose those things which would bring, uh, which were pleasing to the Father, and sets us an example that we should do. It's not just walking around trying to dot our I's and cross our T's so we don't get a slapped or try to avoid punishment as if it's some type of way we can manipulate God or just kind of make it through. We are servants of Christ. We should do those things that please Him to bring Him glory 
to bring him honor. And that comes from being submitted to him and being yielded to the Spirit. And therefore, we need to submit to him. And one of the big things, one major way that we can submit to Christ and to bring him glory is by collectively fixing our eyes upon Jesus. Not fighting among ourselves, making drawing battle lines, having factions. All those things make us infants in Christ. Uh, the beginning of here of chapter three is how Paul refers to believers who have faction, believers who have factions, and are not uh, laying those things aside and saying we may have some differences, but the glory of Christ and the unity of the local church is far more important than any of these minor differences. And so this is uh, Peter sort of wrapping up this conclusion here, and he's gonna that uh, when you look to Christ, yes, realize that all these blessings are benefit the church as a whole, but all of you must be submitted to Christ. Submit yourselves to him as he is submitted to the Father. And he's going to flow into chapter 4, uh, speaking of his own example, and then he's going to start dealing with some other issues that had arisen in the uh, Corinthian church. And he's going to come back to dealing with the one body there in chapters 12 and 13 and 14. And I encourage you, you know, to go ahead and to, to continue on reading through uh, 1 Corinthians. It's a, a wonderful... Well, they're all, all, all books of Scripture are, are wonderful, but it's been a, a very... A meaningful book the Lord has used in my life, showing me the importance of the unity of the local church and how seriously God takes it. And there's just so much that deals directly with how a local church uh, interacts with each other and the use of spiritual gifts, of uh, dealing with sin and, and and doing all for God's glory. And uh, he says that you know all things may be lawful is a, a, a things he cites in I think it's in chapter eight. And he's saying yeah you may you might be able to do these things, but are you causing your brother to stumble? Are you helping them on towards Christ? There's just there's so much in First Corinthians that we could unpack, but these first three chapters uh, help us uh, to to examine uh, how do we how do we study an epistle. That's why I wanted to, to kind of wrap up a little bit today. Is conclu- concluding season one is uh, kind of bringing some highlights of how we study epistles and uh, not just studying them, not just having a head knowledge, but but bringing application. And so it's like some application uh, that we can draw from here directly for ourselves is you know asking ourselves questions about how are we using the benefits that Christ has given us? How are we using those for his glory? And uh, are we having dividing lines? Are we are, are we having factions in our own uh, our own church, our own circle of friends, um, people around us? How, how are we helping to build up the church? And it's questions that we can draw from the text that the points that Paul is making that the Holy Spirit led him and as we prayerfully consider the text asking the Holy Spirit to guide us and to bring application and so and then just finally remember that we do all to the glory of Christ that that's we belong to him we are his that he bought us with his own blood and we are to do everything for his glory and submission to him and so as we sort of conclude this section conclude season one just wanted to sort of bring some highlights or some general principles about how do we study epistles. And uh, so these are drawn from uh, different studies I've done over the past a few years. So, uh, Gordon Fee and Douglas Stewart book, How to Study the, How to Read the Bible for All It's Worth. Excellent book. Uh, a lot of principles are drawn from there. Uh, some other classes I've taken about hermeneutics have, or about the study of scripture have given me some of these as well. But just some points uh, to consider is that to take an epistle to read it in one or two sittings that you know some epistles like uh, Philippians or Colossians and especially uh, smaller ones like Jude they we can uh, sit down and read them in one sitting uh, without 
uh, you know, spending hours upon hours doing that. And First uh, Corinthians does take a more considerable time, but you break it up into two if we need to. But read it without trying to dig into the text, but try to, when we read it in one or two sittings, we're trying to read to get the big picture. Try to see what, what is the main point. And after we get that, kind of seeing the, the big picture, some things to consider are why did Paul or Peter or whoever wrote in the epistle that we're studying, why did they write it? And a lot of times we'll be able to see it. There'll be a, a verse that will describe it. Um, in 1 Corinthians, we see several times where Paul will say, Now concerning the matter which you wrote, there's that. And uh, it talks about being visited by some believers that see like there was this delegation that had come to him bringing a letter from the church and that had raised some concerns. And that was the reason for the letter that we have is 1 Corinthians. And uh, so whatever epistle we're reading, try to see if there's, uh, why did it, why was it written? See what the bigger issues are. And so one of my professors said a lot of times the introduction to an epistle will raise up some of the main themes or issues uh, right there as Paul's uh, opening an address. That's something to consider. And then once we had that, once we had the big picture and trying to understand what the main issue that that Paul or whoever the author is is addressing, we can start breaking the the epistle down into smaller portions. Um, chapter divisions can be helpful, not always. Just just read the text and try to see where the natural divisions uh, may occur, and, and work at those. And always trying to remember the keep the context in mind. Don't just isolate a few verses by themselves and, and draw them out. And without considering what, what's around them, especially what's gone before, uh, you know, considering what, what has Paul's argument been up to this point, and how does he clarify in the verses that follow? So, just keeping the context in mind, uh, you know, ask questions of the test. Okay, what, what does this mean? Sometimes we'll come across a word and kind of make us wonder. Okay, why did he choose that word? And so, there are a lot of resources out there. Blue Letter Bible is a great website that has tools where you can uh, click on words, and they can help. They'll bring up the uh, the Greek word, and you can go to the Strong's Concordance on the website and some of the other grammars that they have there to help understand what was the meaning of the Greek or the he, or the, the Greek word, um, and help us give it a little bit deeper understanding of the text. And then finally, not just to have a head knowledge, but again, circling back to what we said a few minutes ago, is the whole point of this is for application, so that we may grow in Christ, that we may be conformed more into His image, take the truths that are revealed through Scripture. Let the Holy Spirit guide us as we apply them. And so that's kind of the, our final point I, wa I wanted to, to bring out there is to remember that this isn't just a intellectual, intellectual exercise to help us grow in our head knowledge of Scripture. But the whole point of Bible study is to help us grow in the Lord. And that includes how we take what He has revealed through Scripture and apply it to our own lives. And so, yeah, that's, that's about studying epistles. I know it's uh, taken, us, taken me a while to get through it and had an extended break there, but wanted to wrap that up and wanted to give a brief word about moving forward, what's, what's coming next in Season 2. Uh, I had originally thought where I was going to go to something like Psalms, perhaps looking at that. I'm going to pause on that for looking at another genre of Scripture study. And we're going to go something even more basic. Uh, season 2 is going to deal with how do we even get the Bible? How did we get it from the original Greek and Hebrew to and uh, to us in, in English? So that you could study the history of the Bible in various languages, whether it be German or Spanish. But we're going to we cover a little bit of that. But specifically, we're going to look at the Bible and how we got the Bible in English and about translations, how that's going to affect our, our study as well. 
And so this is kind of been a passion of mine. I get pretty excited about it. So I'm looking forward to bringing this study and uh, also preparing this for with some other research we've been doing recently. I thought I just might have it do double duty and start bringing some of that information I've been studying here to the podcast. So I'm looking forward to that and sharing about some books I've been reading and just uh, looking forward to, to share how God has preserved his word and how we can have confidence that the scriptures that we have uh, in English today truly are the word of God. So that'll be coming up in season two. And then the last thing today, I just wanted to bring up a, a book I read recently uh, is Rediscover Church by Colin Hansen and Jonathan Lehman. I heard about this book for a little while. I was pretty excited to check it out and read it a few weeks ago. It was a pretty good overview of the local church and the importance of it. Um, it's not a, it's not an overly long book. It's a fairly short, so it, it it's a good like I said, good overview of the subject of, of the local church. Um, Colin Hansen and Jonathan Lehman they trade off chapters, so you know I'll have Hansen write a chapter or two, then you'll switch to Lehman for a chapter, and then just they go back and forth with that. Um, uh, the chapters by Colin Hansen. Uh, personally, I feel like are are more grounded and are, were more beneficial as I read them. Uh, one of the issues I, I would raise with the book, one of the cautions I would give with it, is uh, Lehman's overemphasis upon the the kingdom of God, in the sense that the church is the kingdom of God, not kingdom of God being Christ's rule at our hearts, but he he over I think he he institutionalizes the church too much. And some of the things that he tries to bring through with some of the covenant theology. So just be aware of that, especially with uh, the chapter, if you read it with the chapters that Lehman had. But I thought Colin Hans's chapters were especially good, um, uh, especially the ones that are dealing with the importance of gathering as a local church and how we are to, to build each other up. So it, it was a good book. Uh, wasn't, maybe it wasn't as uh, great as I had originally expected, but still a pretty decent one. Uh, but I, I've read a few, several books, about three books now, on the importance of the local church. And probably my my favorite one that I have read, not probably, but my favorite one that I've read so far, I think that's probably the most well-rounded and well-grounded in the scripture, is Devoted to God's Church by Sinclair Ferguson. Uh, he does also have a little bit of Reformed theology in there with kind of blurring the lines between Israel and the church a little bit. Not nearly as much as uh, some of the other books that I have read. So if you're kind of looking for a, a, a one a one book to, to look at about the importance of the local church and what it means to be involved with one, I, I would recommend uh, Ferguson's Devoted to God's Church. But wanted to just uh, bring that out and to share that. And I apologize again for I apologize for uh, taking so long to get back here and finish season one. Uh, just not sure why I took so long to do it, but. Uh, Glad to be going to wrap it up and look forward to continuing with our next season and see how we go from there. Thank you for listening to the podcast. I hope it was an encouragement and a blessing. To find out more information about Here I Stand Ministries, check out hisministries.com. Scripture quotations are from the NASB, the New American Standard Bible, copyright 1971-1995 by the Lockman Foundation, used by permission, all rights reserved.